Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Students walk out of classes across the country demanding better accommodation. She has been in the job for just over a month, but the talk is already about whether Liz Truss can survive as the UK continues its political turmoil. And later, we will take a look at the stories that got us talking in a busy news week. Do join the conversation, as always, online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, BMTV. Students have faced an uncertain few years as COVID ravaged their plans. Now, classes are for the most part back to normal, but another issue is plaguing their student experience, a chronic lack of housing. Today, they walked out of classes to make their point. It took place right across the country. The Union of Students in Ireland said its action was to remind the government and college authorities that students are not an endless money pit. Here is what some of them had to say a little earlier. We're just tired of it every single day. I'm sitting in my apartment. Literally, we can't turn on the heating because it's too expensive. Like this Tuesday, I, I was in work and I was in work till 2am because I have to work. I have to be able to earn money. And then I have to go home. It's at 3am and then I have a 9am three hour class the next morning. And that does affect my education. My commute is two hours each way every single day, like, and I'm shattered when I go home. It's draining me mentally and physically, like, I just can't keep doing it, like. Well, I'm also forced to sometimes have to leave my classes early because there's also not enough time for me to get back down to the station to get home. Well, to get more on this, I am joined by financial advisor, Carl Dieter, assistant professor of social policy at Maynooth University, Rory Hearn, Fina Foyle Housing Spokesperson, Senator Mary Fitzpatrick, and Trinity student Hugh Murphy. You're all very welcome uh, to the programme. Hugh, I'm going to start with you because you were out today. Tell me about the turnout and the atmosphere and the feeling amongst students in Ireland now. So really the only words that come to mind are that students are really, really angry and they're really sick and tired of a system that really isn't working for them. Um, so... We actually saw a fantastic turnout today. Around um, over 3,000 students are estimated to have turned out uh, only in Trinity College. Um, but you really have to hand it to students' unions and the Union of Students in Ireland, who did a tremendous job in terms of organising students, in terms of mobilising students um, about this, this unprecedented crisis um, that they're facing in terms of rents, in terms of the general cost of living, um, but also just generally in terms of the cost of education. Um, so, yeah, so just real anger and real frustration, I think, is... Main, and main feeling. I think there's always been a difficulty, hasn't there, in trying to secure student accommodation. I remember it from my own days. Is it worse? Is it more difficult? What is your accommodation setup? 
Absolutely. Um, so I'm actually a renter myself. Um, I'm lucky I'm originally from Dublin, but I am a renter. Um, but as it was, it was mentioned just now, actually, by some of the students sharing about their, their experiences, um, I have to work. I've, uh, I've a job. I know friends of mine who have more than one job. Um, and they're not even the kinds of jobs um, that, you know, you'd necessarily be getting a huge amount of, of skills out of. You know, they're tough jobs, they're long hours, and you're talking about the minimum wage, you know. Um, and students are working these jobs because they have to work these jobs. Um, and because rent is expensive. Your rent is expensive. Absolutely. It's, it, it is. It's high and it's getting higher. What are you um, paying a month? So I'm paying 1,100 euros a month. 1,100 euros? I am, yeah. And now you are living on campus, you're in town. I take it that includes your bills? I am. It does include my bills. It does. Yeah. But nothing else? No. And in terms of securing accommodation, what solutions are students finding? What are they doing? Um, so there's a number of um, solutions that have been proposed, a number of things that students and students in general do want to see, um, including um, a cap on rents. Um, we do want, also want to see um, a constitutional right to housing, I think is extremely important. Um, but we also just generally want to see purpose-built um, student accommodation, something that we're really not seeing. There is student accommodation out there, but the price of this accommodation really isn't sustainable. It's something that re people realistically can't afford. Um, so yes, yeah, so there's a number of things that can be done. Um, but also um, a scrapping of the student contribution, because this crisis isn't only about rent, it's just about the general, general cost. Um, of going to college. Of, of going to college. Do you feel this government is hearing you, listening to students, aware of the difficulties? I don't think so. And I think that that's definitely a feeling that's shared by many students out there. And that, you know, the whole reason why there were, there were so many students out there is because it's, a, it's an issue that's affecting so many right across the country. Um, yeah. So yeah, so absolutely, there, there's a void of, um, of political leadership. Um, young people don't feel represented. They don't feel that there's anyone out there who's really gonna, gonna stand up for them. And I suppose that's why students felt the need to go out there, to take to the streets, to, to have their voices heard, because they're so frustrated. Mary Fitzpatrick, they are so frustrated, they feel nobody is listening, nobody is representing them, a void in political leadership. Yeah, well... That's you. Uh, well... It, it, and your party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair play to the students for being out today. I think if I was a student, I'd be out as well. And I think it's great to see student activism like that. And to be fair, it's not just today. USI have been campaigning for uh, many months. I've met them myself. My party has met them. They did a really strong campaign, pre-budget submission. Um, Why are they right to be out? Well, well, the right to be out, because there is a real issue. I mean, we all know there's a housing crisis. It's, it's the topic du jour. Everybody is talking about it every single day. It is the top priority for government. That's why government has committed 20 billion euros over the next four years to deliver more than 30,000 homes a year. The student accommodation issue, and, it's, and it's, it, it, is, it is a real challenge. I remember it myself when I was a student. I worked as well, full-time job. Um, Do you accept it's worse now? I, I accept that there's a housing crisis now that there wasn't then. Absolutely. Look, that's indisputable. Um, but there was in the budget measures to help students. I mean, first of all, there was the €1,000 cut. And to be fair to the USI, they campaigned for this and government has delivered it. €1,000 cut to the student uh, contribution fee. That's from 3000 uh, down to 2000 Absolutely. It's it's the first cut in over 27 years, OK? So it's... it's it's And to be fair, USI campaigned for this. Um, renters who pay rent will get uh, the €1,000 tax credit on their rental income. Has, Has that been changes? confirmed? When will that go to the parents of those students? Well, if the renter rent? is paying it, the renter gets the tax credit. If the, if the student... I, I don't know what your situation is. If the student is paying it, then yes, of course, they get the tax credit. If it's not the student and it's the parent, we've raised that issue with the Minister for Finance and we are pushing to have it come through in the finance bill so that then the parents would get it as well. Isn't it a real pity if students want to feel like they're being listened to and prioritised that the government didn't have that clear prior? 
to announcing the budget because there's been a lot of confusion over the last number of weeks over whether students or their parents or whoever was paying their rent would get this credit. It doesn't send the message, we know, students, you're suffering, you're paying these rent, high rents too, well, does well, it? Well, well I, I think, to be fair to Simon Harris, the Minister for Higher Education, I mean, prior to this government, there has never been a department for higher education. That's a change in the last two years. Not only is there a department of higher education, there's a minister with full seniority at the Cabinet table. On top of that, for the very first time ever, he's created a unit dedicated to uh, providing student accommodation. That never existed before. But Students are being listened to. To be the fair, what they're demanding is respect, more urgency. Um, Mary Fitzpatrick, the projections from the Higher Education Authority mm. is that there's going to be a 25,000 bed shortfall for students by 2024. 25,000 bed shortage. Happens, if nothing happens, and that's that's not what's the plan. I mean, the plan is to at least So you deliver... think that'll be turned around by 2024? The, the plan is to deliver at least an additional 30,000 uh, housing units each year for the next four years. The plan is to have dedicated, affordable student accommodation on site on the student campuses. The Minister for Housing and the Minister for Further Education are working with the third level institutions to make that a reality. There's already more than 600 units planned for NUI Galway. We, okay, we are I coming just want... from, we are coming out of a decade of undersupply. That has compounded then by two years of a pandemic. The supply, uh, the supply uh, chain shortages and the, the inflationary costs, the war in Ukraine, all of these have compounded a very difficult situation. But already commencements are up, competitions right, are Rory, up. The supply is coming, but is there a short-term solution for those thousands of students out there today and people like you paying €1,100 a month on rent? Yeah, it, it is absolutely disastrous for students. And I see them in my classes, you know, they're telling me um, commuting, you know, four to six hours a day to classes. That's commuting because they can't find accommodation. Um, you know, pulling into the car park, some of them in cars saying they can see other students asleep with their duvets in the car. Like, how can you get an education when you're trying to, to do that? And of course, it exacerbates as well inequalities within education in terms of those who can afford accommodation and those who can't and the impact on their education and mental health. You know, it is a mental health catastrophe as well. And this um, is going to affect the less well-off, those who of can't afford to pay the higher rents, but also those who live further away from yeah, the third level institutions. Yes, exactly. They're the ones who are forced to commute long Longer and longer and um, with serious impacts on their education and that is unfair it's not right and but in they, terms they, of if the, we go back that... to policy and strategy the, the government had a um, student accommodation strategy in 2017 and that strategy was flawed from the outset because it was overwhelmingly based on investor funds building these purpose-built student accommodation yeah. and we've seen it you know them come up all over Dublin you know to a certain extent in Cork um, and they're way too expensive ordinary students can't afford them and there's so the current very... model of student housing that the government designed is not fit for purpose. It's Students not, can't afford it. Absolutely. I mean, let's let's no, just no, no, be but, clear. But, 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 Rory, but, but, let's be but, clear. Mary, there has been significant change, right? No, what uh, Rory well, is referring to much? is the previous government. Twenty. You're talking five years ago, Rory. Now a lot has no, no, changed. No, no. We but had a general election government that was supported no, by Fianna Fáil. No student housing strategy. There's no new student Rory, accommodation Rory, the strategy. Of it is... No, no, but the reality is housing for all mm. had very little mention of student housing and there was no plans for any serious funding going into universities or third-level institutes to build affordable, purpose-built student accommodation. We have two billion going into an emergency rainy day fund. The rainy day for these students and for others affected by the housing crisis is right now. Like, why was that two billion mm. not put into building student affordable accommodation, other affordable accommodation, when I, you know, we know the universities are saying we don't have the funding to build affordable. All right, let's get back in there. Yeah, four and a half billion a year is going into a, a, a 
delivering housing. And how much interest Rory, in Rory, I didn't interrupt. I did stop. But that is it, a fair question. It, is a fa it absolutely is a fair question. That's why I'm trying to answer it. Four and a half billion a year is going into delivering housing. Big priority is on social housing, to be fair. 90,000 social homes, 60,000 affordable homes. For the very first time, affordable cost rental. Okay. There hasn't, as I said earlier, just there never was previously... If it's social homes and it's affordable homes, what is that going to do for students? If I can, for students, there never was a Department of Higher Education prior to this government. This government has created a Department of Higher Education, has created within it a dedicated unit to deliver student accommodation. And Rory, you know we accept. You know that we have made a priority, affordable cost rental, and we will deliver affordable cost rental okay, for students. You, it's you're a shaking your head like you don't believe any of this. Yeah, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, just kind of talking about this issue that we don't get lost into the abstract in terms of the number of houses that are being built. Um, even though that's, that's obviously very important, we do need to build homes or in terms of the, the amount of money that's being allocated to housing. But, uh, you know, one of the things that just kind of moved me today is that we heard a lot of personal stories about, um, you know, students sharing their own experiences um, about mental health, as Rory mentioned, um, but, but also just kind of the issues that they're, they're, they're facing really right now. So, and as, as Rory said as well, um, this is really taking a toll on students' education. So I know for a fact that students aren't attending classes because they have to go home on weekends, that they're in digs. Um, and, you know, talking about the, the government's um, student housing strategy, you know, to me, it sounds abstract in a way because I know a huge amount of students, the vast majority that I know are living in, in private rental. So from what you can see, there's no short term solution for I, the students are protesting today. I can't, and I do want to say oh, that... Um, but there, there the, isn't the, a magic wand. Like, let's, let's no, be okay. honest. I just want, sorry, I just want to get Carl Dieter in here today. because Carl Dieter, the um, Union of Students of Ireland, among their many calls today <laughs> was for an immediate ban on evictions and the introduction of housing, the right to housing, as a constitutional right. What do you think of that? The, the right to housing one, like, look, that's up there with the tooth fairy, you know, it's uh, like... I'd rather see something that builds houses rather than write it down on a page and stick it in the Constitution. Constitution already has lots of protections in there that don't have to be specifically mentioned. The right to privacy is not in there. Mm -hmm. Section 41.2 of the Constitution talks about protecting the family. I mean, I assume that that means housing them, not letting people starve to death. So that's kind of that, that's something for people with PhDs to talk about while they quaff champagne. It's not really a real idea in terms of doing anything that fixes it. Uh, I think that, it, you know, if you want to talk about ridiculous ideas, why I don't not say that... think there's any now students in Ireland <laughs> who are quaffing champagne who are calling No, I said the people who come measure. up with those ideas. Uh, so, so just to, to make a distinction between the two, the people who are gullible enough to believe them, they're a different group. But, um, you know, why not make a right to be loved? Like, if you're going to throw out mad stuff out there, we need houses. We don't need talk about it. We don't need some fancy, you know, well-thought-out, scripted idea that goes into the Constitution. Okay. Put one brick on another. And if your idea isn't that, then it's probably back in the space of being an academic. Rory? Well, I would say firstly... Do you support um, that idea? I, I absolutely do. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I think this... You, you talk about coughing champagne. It's been a while since I've had champagne. But uh, it's, if you talk about serious... Like, the United Nations foundational document in 1948 included within it the right to housing. This is not Article something that, that people just pull out of the air. This is something that countries like Finland have it in their constitution who actually have ended homelessness. But I'm just wondering what... Yeah, I just want okay. to come back to Carl's point. European is, Social Charter right has it in there too. Uh, he is right about one thing. Up to these, the by Constitution the way. has a very clear, in the right to private property, has a very clear uh, uh, statement that that right can be limited for social justice and the common good, which comes back to the, the demand about the eviction ban. There should absolutely be an immediate eviction ban in place for a minimum of 18 months, and that would provide some relief 
to students in the coming year and a half, two years, that they wouldn't be evicted into homelessness or lose their homes, and to the thousands, Most hundreds move of thousands out of, houses of renters. During and the I summer wonder, too, I just think which... why, why that isn't put in, put in place. But we do need a right to housing as well, because without a right to housing, our policy is just jumping and, and limping from, it's unclear and, and as how, to what it's want, doing. To be clear, how do you feel putting this right in the Constitution would change that? Fear like, how because, would that influence government put, policy? When you put a right to housing in the Constitution, the government is absolutely required to ensure that policy and practice... You can laugh not... about it, Carl. There is people dying by suicide Look, in this country I'm not... because they're going into homelessness, I'm not because they can't I'm get a home. But do you know what? I don't see it's funny. So because I, it's not Here's ridiculous. A, imagine people if a kid are comes talking home. about this in people... terms of uh, this government... This government and previous governments have allowed the housing situation become an utter catastrophe, putting a right to housing in our constitution would mark a point where they cannot any longer allow people to remain in homelessness, allow this level of housing unaffordability. They would be you obliged would by our policy. constitution. I absolutely do. Uh, Carl Dieter, I'd let you back in there. Yeah, look, can you... Look, anyone who knows anything about anything, our court system is a, is a mess on a good day. Can you imagine if you come home and your son or daughter... You've been annoying me. That's it. I'm leaving. Cop on. Go up to your room. No, I'm gone. And they walk down to wherever they walk down to. I have a constitutional right to housing. And you're denying it from me. I'm taking you to court. I've been denied my fundamental constitutional rights. But I don't Imagine how this plays out. constitutional no. lawyers would laugh them out. That's not what yeah, a right to housing is. I don't think that's how it would be used in fairness. It is okay. important to say it's a completely undefined idea without no, constraint. It's in, it's in All right. the Constitution okay. Finland. What about, let's move on to, uh, Mary, what about Can this immediate... on that right to housing? Because it is an important issue and there is a truth somewhere between the two lads here. The Housing Commission has been set up to examine this issue of a right to housing. It has held public consultation recently. It will report by the end of this year. Rory knows this. Um, yeah. And we'll get a decision then. Well. Okay. But, but it is an important issue. And, and I think the distinction is this, and I believe Fianna Fáil is the only political party that actually has, as one of its aims and objectives, the right to adequate and secure housing. But it as is... A as a constitutional right? Const absolutely, absolutely. And do you think that would change the mindset? That would build more I houses? Think, I, well, first of all, as I said, there is no magic wand. This is not going to be fixed okay. overnight. But what it would do is it would compel all future governments to have an obligation to ensure that the state provides adequate and secure housing okay. for all of its citizens. And that's a very important... Uh, Isn't one of the real difficulties, assert. though, also at the moment, uh, Mary Fitzpatrick, with the number of landlords that are leaving Absolutely. the market? Yeah. Small landlords mm -hmm. leaving the market. Landlords who are likely to rent to students in the country. Mm -hmm. What did the government do in this last budget to try and keep those landlords in the market? Or do you think they should be encouraged to remain in the market? Well, well you said the private landlords and, and they have private property rights and, and so, you know, to try and restrict their, their exercising of their private property rights is a kind of a dangerous space to, to be getting into. However, I suppose the, the, the issue is this. They are leaving. They have been leaving in, you know, in quite significant numbers since 2017. Um, largely for financial reasons. I think more than 50% of the presentations in August for homelessness were due to notices to quit. So it is a very serious issue and it is for that reason that government is considering... What do you mean financial issues? What are you talking well, about? Well, you know, they're, uh, they're realising a pension. They're 
they they say that the, they don't want to pay as much tax on the income that they generate. You know, this is what the landlords themselves would say, um, that the regulations are too cumbersome. Mm. Um, there's so been just... significant changes made to, sec to improve the security of tenure for tenants. Um, but just what was done to keep those landlords in the market if you think they need to stay in the market? We need them. Well, well there is demand. I mean, there's demand there already in the market for them. They but they're leaving. But we know they're leaving. So yeah. I'm just asking, so the, what so, does this government so do the, the only to try way, and keep them? The, the in only the way you could the only way you could do it would be financially, um, financially or legally with a ban. Um, you could compel them not to evict. Um, in France, they do it from the you 1950s. Think they should here? For a winter eviction, it, it, you know, short-term, temporary, for reason of good cause, social obligation, social reasons, like what they do in France, that is something that could be considered. There was a short-term, a short-term uh, okay. November until March, that right. type of a ban. Carl Dieter, you're putting your head in your For hands the there, months. so I'm getting the feeling you don't think a ban's a good idea? Look, a ban on evictions? Like, Why not, given the <clears> fact <throat> that it's a really difficult period in people's life, we have a cost of living crisis, there is a housing crisis, let's just get through this okay. difficult what, winter months without people losing their place okay. to live. What I want to say is I'm not saying yes to hurting people who are having a hard time or like suicides or any stuff that we was talking about or any of that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is this, you own a house, You've got a, 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 you know, a relative who's coming back from another country. They need a place to live. They've gotten a job here. You have the right to ask for your own house back so you can house a relative or your child or your relationship breaks up and you need to move somewhere and you have the right to move into your own house. A ban on eviction ends those rights. You have someone who's a nut job in a property who on a good day can be very difficult to legally take out even though they could be threatening to burn the building down. But are these it not the exceptions, the, do you not think? It, it, well, Okay, well, tell me what is the norm? I mean, if there's so many landlords doing this, what is the norm? They so just want the out so they can like ride off into in this of, glorious sunset? In terms of notices to quit that are being issued to tenants, the majority of them are because the landlord is stating they're selling up, not because they're moving a family <laughs> member in. No, the overwhelming but, majority are because they're selling. But why so are they, they selling up? So, no, no, but the but actual... why are they but, selling up? No, 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 you're going to make question. them stay no, no, when they want out. If the issue is landlords are leaving, they're selling, so the tenant is being evicted, the problem, that, the social problem that we're dealing with is tenants quit. being evicted. No, but should, so we, if, should we not be no, asking, Rory, no, so the, why no, are they selling? No, no, That's because the, question the solution I'm asking you. actually is let them sell, but the tenant stays in place. So the landlord can have their property rights okay. to Imagine sell their property, and buyer. then it's not a problem. Right. You're, you're and, buying and, a house. And government has given <clears throat> authority to the local authorities without interfering with local authorities' independence to actually purchase All those right. homes. Uh, this is about students today, so I want to give Hugh the final word here. Hugh, if you could get the government just to do one thing now for students this year struggling to find accommodation, what would it be? It would be to scrap the... to uh, enshrine the constitutional right to housing in the Constitution. That'll be your number one. All right, look, we're going to leave it there. We will certainly be coming back uh, to that topic. My thanks to Carl Dieter, to Rory Heron, Mary Fitzpatrick and to Hugh Murphy. Up next, another week of political chaos across the Irish Sea. We will be live in London with that and the other big news stories of the week. Are very welcome back. Now, some news coming in from the United States this evening. The January 6th committee has voted to subpoena former President Donald Trump. It 
sets up a showdown between the former president and the committee just weeks ahead of the midterm elections. Committee member and Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney said, we are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. And every American is entitled to those answers. Donald Trump is not expected to comply with the order. Now, Liz Truss has been UK Prime Minister for only a month, but already rumours are swirling around Westminster about her political future. It comes after a disastrous mini-budget that sent the UK economy into a tailspin and saw the Conservative Party's popularity crash. Well, let's go live to London, and Ollie Barrett is there with the latest. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Ollie, another fascinating day in British politics. I was watching the communications coming from Downing Street right throughout the day. U-turn, partial U-turn, no U-turn. It was clear as mud. What is going on? It's hard to tell, as you say. I mean, we were having messaging that was uh, contradictory here in London, but also in Washington as well, where Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor, knew he was going to have an awkward trip, having to effectively defend his mini-budget in the face of implicit and explicit criticism at times from the IMF itself, but also from other finance ministers gathered there. He started the day in Washington saying that his position hadn't changed on those measures in his mini-budget. But by the end of the day, he was saying, let's see, in response to being questioned about rumours that parts of that budget were going to the mini budget were going to have to be thrown out the window, particularly with regard to the government's plans on corporation tax. Here in London, Downing Street was saying at first the same in the same words. It was saying our position hasn't changed. But we were also getting pretty strong reports and uh, they were coming from very good sources around the government that there is discussion underway in Downing Street about whether to make some or one at least U-turn on parts of the mini-budget. And as I say, that particularly relates 
to corporation tax, which had been due to rise next year, but the Liz Truss administration wanted to stop that rise taking place and uh, bring corporation tax uh, back down to 19%. And it, it is very clear that discussions this evening are underway between Liz Truss's close circle of allies and some Conservative MPs about whether there should indeed be a U-turn on yeah. parts of that mini-budget. Deeply awkward for Kwasi Kwarteng to have those discussions going back in, going on back in London while he's in Washington trying to defend the plan that he announced just uh, days ago now. Uh, so very awkward for the government, uh, awkward for Kwasi Kwarteng and for Liz Truss. Her position, it, there's so much speculation about what lies yeah, ahead for her. All sorts of reports of various different types of plots in government. Yeah, I see uh, the, the front the page of the Times Party tomorrow. The potential ways that she could be removed. Yeah, the front page of the Times tomorrow. Sorry, Across you, Ollie is saying that senior Conservatives are plotting now to oust Liz Trust. There are various plots underway in the Conservative Party. The difficulty that the party has is that it's deeply divided. One of the reasons that particular plot that The Times is talking about, which other people have mentioned as well, has some credibility, is that the idea is it would bring together Penny Mordaunt and Rishi Sunak, both of whom did well in the Conservative Party leadership contest, and the idea is that the party could coalesce around them. But it's not clear at all how much support that particular plot has, exactly what the the timing would be of any particular plot and exactly how it would work given the rules of the 1922 committee. So uh, it's really very unpredictable where we go from here now. All right, we'll leave it there. Ollie Barrett, as always, thank you for that uh, update. Let's take a look at this story and the other big news stories of the week. I am joined by media consultant Garrett Hart, Claire Ronan, presenter at Ocean FM, and Hugh O'Connell, Deputy Political Editor at Independent.ie. I'm going to start with you because it is another fascinating week in British politics. And I want to also mention the clip that was on the internet all week, uh, or certainly in the last couple of days, of Prince Charles and Liz Truss mm. meeting. And the comments from Tr Prince Charles, I believe he said, oh dear, dear. Dear, oh dear, yeah. Dear, oh dear. So there's, there's is that symbolic? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are interpreting that way. Um, I think the more benign interpretation is that just, that's just something he kind of says uh, and that he didn't mean anything by it or that he didn't mean that, you know, oh, here we go again, uh, you know, another disastrous week um, for the Prime Minister. But it, it certainly has been another very difficult week for the Prime Minister. I mean, you know, as we you mentioned at the top, uh, she's only been in office a month. month. And it's actually hard think, to believe when I read that it today. Is, yeah. I just thought, a month, so much has happened. And when you so think about turmoil. half of that was basically nothing was happening because the the, period, the long period of mourning because of the death of, of Queen Elizabeth II, um, you know, they, they have managed to kind of uh, self-immolate on various occasions over the over the other kind of two, two weeks, two to three weeks, uh, resulting in the situation that we have now where... You know, I was looking at a graph earlier on the news where the, the interest rate on 10-year bonds had, was kind of fluctuating between 4 and 4.4% throughout the day uh, based on the various uh, rumours and, and sort of denials of, of a U-turn potentially on the budget. I mean, I think Ollie sums it up pretty well there next week, or on the, on the clip there. He, you know, I, I think there's probably going to have to be some movement one way or the other, and it's either going to be a U-turn or it's probably going to be a, a plot to oust well, could it be that? Could it potentially be a plot to oust Quasi Cartain? Could he potentially be the fall guy and she survive? He could. I got onto a contact I have in the party today who, and the quote he gave me was, 
we're a ruthless lot. And we haven't decided exactly who is going to replace Liz Truss yet. And that is why her corpse is still sitting in a chair. They haven't quite identified. Well, I mean, you could say that perhaps when they ousted Boris Johnson, the part yeah. of the problem was they hadn't identified his successor either. And the, he also mentioned that the BBB, which is the Bring Boris Back campaign, is gaining momentum. Can she turn this around, Garrett Hart? I mean, you've advised, I'd say, politicians in your past. I mean, can she do another U-turn, and there's been a few of them, maintain credibility, or does she have to push through and just hope the markets respond differently? I think the phrase a week is a long time of politics is apt uh, at the moment. And there's two dynamics at play here, Kira. There is the economic dynamic, which is the Bank of England, the markets in the city of London. Uh, there's a 20-year high borrowing in the UK. The Bank of England stopped their emergency bond buying uh, tomorrow. So she probably has a week to get stability in that space. But then you've got the Tory MPs who are spooked, 33% behind Labour, and are looking at their political future. Uh, so it could be a case that she has driven into a cul-de-sac, I think was a phrase that was used. Now, can she reverse back out? Mm. Or does she change the driver and the quasi-quartang becomes And the how long has she got day? to do that? I think you're, you're talking probably a week or 10 days. Uh, the speculation in the British papers tonight are with regard to uh, who's replacing her. The odds on Boris Johnson have shortened, which is mm. fascinating. Uh, and we but do also, believe Rishi, Rishi Sunak is waiting in the wings too. Yeah, and, and, uh, and for her, she has not had an opportunity to get out of first gear and she may not, not have that opportunity full stop. I mean, don't forget as well, Rishi Sunak had the support of the majority of MPs, um, more so than, I mean, he had more support than Liz Truss had amongst MPs. It was the Conservative Party members that, that ultimately uh, ensured her victory. So, I mean, I think that could be kind of a powerful factor in, in his favour should they decide to move uh, on, on Liz Truss. But, I mean, they also have to take into consideration that the chaos that that would create, where you have a fourth Prime Minister in six years... Do you think that would cause an election? Do you think if, let's say, Rishi Sunak went in, mm. would he have to call an election there? You know, can he go in and say, I do have a mandate at this point for the Conservative Party Liz to leave? barely has a mandate. Yeah, I don't, look, I don't think it, it would be politically wise to call an election if you're in the uh, Conservative Party at the moment, uh, in terms of where the opinion polls are at. And, and you know, we, well, maybe we you also, just start your time in opposition, <laughs> Cardiff, you know that's where you're heading anyhow. We also forget that they have been in government for over a decade and they're making announcements now as if they're, this is their first time in government and that they're amateurs. So it's 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 quite a, an interesting political story, Kira. I think that's the understatement uh, of the week. It's quite fascinating. Uh, moving on, Hugh, to Mark McSharry, mm. uh, independent TD Mark McSharry. It looks like he is set to uh, rejoin Fianna Foyle. Who approached who, do you think? Well, I mean, I think Mark McSharry took the decision after a year in the wilderness that now was the time to, to make shapes towards returning to, to Fianna Fáil. Um, and I think he had conversations with colleagues. I mean, he's still well regarded by many of his colleagues in the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party or former colleagues, soon to be uh, current, current colleagues. Uh, and I think he took the decision that, you know, this was now was the time to, to, to try and go back. So, And it's interesting what you say there about the year in the wilderness. Mm. I mean... He did get a lot of media traction. There yeah. was a lot of noise yeah. created yeah. when he was being so critical of Fianna Fáil 
being within the Fianna Fáil tent. Mm -hmm. Very little coverage when you're criticising them from outside. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, he, he's certainly not been on the airwaves. Um, perhaps aside from Ocean FM, I don't know how, how, how much he's been, he's been on, on there. He's been on a lot. <laughs> but he certainly hasn't been making the national press in the same way he was when he was in the parliamentary party. Um, so that might factor into his thinking. Um, how but... do you think he will behave, Claire, if he is taken back into Fianna Fáil? I mean, is it going to be, you know, best boy in class? Yes, Mr. So. Taoiseach. Yes, Michael <laughs> Martin. Right. I don't think he will behave. I think he's passionate and, you know, we've all seen uh, the way he behaves. But, you know, in, in the Northwest, he is well regarded. He's from excellent political pedigree, obviously, with his father. His first cousin is now Tom, the mayor of Sligo. He has another cousin who's just making waves in the Fianna Fáil party, Adele. Excellent family support, very well thought of in the town. He does do the grassroots work. I think there's a lot of people who didn't actually know he was even gone. And if you were to or ask particularly people, care. Yeah, and if you were to ask people, oh, what happened? Can you remember? You know, a lot of people won't remember, you know. Well, because he didn't leave over a local issue, did he? No, That's and maybe if he had, too. I, we were saying earlier, if he had left over the mica issue in Donegal, he would have gained massive support. Leaving over Catherine Sabone and Simon Coveney maybe wasn't yeah. the most intelligent political decision he ever made. However, he's very strongly liked in the Northwest and he does do the grassroots work, as far as I can see. So um, I think it'll be, it'll be well received locally. All right, I just want to move on to... Uh, I don't even know if you can call it a story, the awful event in Donegal that has just dominated not the media, people's thoughts, I think every kitchen mm. table, every work conversation for the last seven days, uh, that awful, awful explosion in Donegal last Friday, Guard. It has really, really moved people, hasn't it? It has really hit home because you look at those photographs and you think, they could be my friends, my family. Yeah, and, and, and I know th these people. And I think that's the, 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 you know, it's been a really sad week, uh, continues to be a sad week, and it will be a sad period in Donegal for a long time. And like we know Chris Lowell, and mm. uh, I, I was in Manchester at the weekend uh, with work, and I was just struck by the number of people who came up to pay condolence, not because they knew Chrysler, but because they knew a Chrysler. They could all relate to a small village. They could all relate to going in to get the ice cream, mm. to go in and to get the newspaper. And I think that really struck accord with everyone and we, we, we have seen the universality of, of the grief. Um, and I'd also say that, you know, what struck me over the last few days is, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a proud Donegal person, uh, is, is how the community in Donegal mm. rallied around the families, how people opened up their, their doors, their businesses, uh, how people in the aftermath of the explosion, like Jason Black, uh, a guy I went to secondary school with who, who was blown to the side, went in to search and, you know, and, and that sort and of... so many ordinary people did that and Absolutely. so many ordinary uh, first responders too who could never be trained to deal with Absolutely. that kind of trauma I, went in there. And funny enough, Claire, I was, I was there on, on Monday uh, for a few hours we broadcast from Chrysler and the thing that's really struck me is the trauma. That's the word, the trauma that's on people's faces. It's going to take that area an awful long time to get back on its feet, if it ever does. If it ever does. But can I just say one shining light through the whole thing has been the Catholic Church. We all talk in all mm. different programmes and write articles about how we've all turned away from the church and no one's mm. going. And 
weren't the priests just extraordinary? When Father John Joe on the first day said, I wanted to reach inside the bereaved, the, the families that are mourning and take out their pain. He spoke for the whole country. Yeah. When he buried uh, Martina Martin today, he said, oh, she worked in the shop <coughs> and if you're buying a, a bar of chocolate and it was a euro, she'd say, there's another one up there much bigger for the same euro. <laughs> we all love those people. The way the priest, Father Carney, spoke about Leona today, mm. he said she sparkled. What a wonderful, we heard about a feisty girl. I feel we've like- heard beautiful tributes. We've heard fabulous, and the priest, have been propping up the community, the, the family, the relations now and for a long time to come. And I think they have just been exemplary. All right, look, we're going to leave it there, but lots more to discuss after the short break. You are very welcome back. Now, in the United States, conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has been ordered to pay $965 million in damages to the families of those killed in the Sandy Hook massacre. After the tragedy in 2012, Jones accused bereaved relatives of being actors who had faked massacre. Well, Gerard Hart, Claire Ronan and Hugh O'Connell are still with me. It was an absolutely shocking uh, story, uh, Claire, but you might just describe to people the impact that his claims, his false, fake claims had on the families of those victims. Well, 20 children were killed on that day and he and his team, to say he hounded the family and what, he, what they did to the family. So just an example, they went to their houses, they screamed in the door saying, I know the child is in there, naming the child, bring him out. They... Uh, showered them with phone calls. They said that they were going to dig up the coffins. They urinated on some of the children's graves. It was probably the most shocking case I have ever seen in my life. He wasn't there today when this one million he was ordered to pay, but he'd put his free speech system uh, software or website into bankruptcy. So he's saying that um, he's not going to have to pay anything. And immediately went back into fundraising mode among his followers to fill up the coffers again. I think we can have a clip there. This is him live, um, a live reaction to the judgment today. He, he is scoffing at the reaction. Um, he has made an absolute fortune, hasn't he, Hugh, by oh. peddling these mm. claims. Two That's him there. Two hundred fifty-seven million right now. Come on, go! I'm worth more than that. Future twenty-five million dollars. That's better. B emotional distress damages, past and future, thirty-two million six hundred thousand. Never said their names. All made up. Nope. Hilarious. Amount of followers, uh, and I said, you know, use that word awful because it is awful what he is doing. And what's shocking as well is that there's been research carried out in the United States that shows that a fifth of people. Uh, believe that the US government stages some of these mass shootings in order to bring about uh, gun control. And what's really ironic is that Sandy Hook led to a major concerted effort on the part of the Obama administration to bring about gun control measures 
uh, back in 2012, 2013, uh, and it failed. Uh, and I, I remember, because Barack Obama was, was so strong on this at the time, he was in the Rose Garden with the families and he was chastising Parliament, for, or not Parliament, sorry, Congress, for uh, having failed to get this over the line. Uh, so, you know, the efforts to bring about gun control as a result of Sandy Hook ultimately failed because of the vested interests and uh, the, the right to bear arms and all of these different factors that play into the extraordinary situation that exists in the United States where you know, so many people own guns and so many people think it's absolutely right that they should have the right to bear arms. But it has also been seen, Garrett, as a, a landmark moment against those who promote these harmful conspiracy theories, mainly online. Is it that? Is it a turning point, do you think? I think it's a step. Because but it's not I, just in America. Uh, it's across a step, but I, I, I fear it, it, it isn't. Uh, he's a conspiracy theorist, a, a poisonous conspiracy theorist. This won't change his narrative. As we've seen, his followers, as you mentioned, are, are fundraising, and this will just grow his constituency of followers. And I think that the only thing that that uh, can stop this and, and uh, people like him is online regulation at state level, because self-regulation is not going to work, and he can use fake news sites to peddle this. this through. Uh, I just want to move on to uh, the women's football team. Obviously, the conversation yesterday changed um, because of the chance that went online. But we do want to look tonight at the qualifications because it was a phenomenal achievement, Hugh, and a great day for young girls and young boys interested in football and sport in this country. Yeah, no, and I think it shows the value of investing in... Um in sport and in women's sport in particular, which has been underfunded for so many years. Investing I mean, and respecting it. Investing that's, that's and respecting what they were it, yeah. And so we you know, we know this and this story's been talked about a lot in the last few days, that the, the tracksuits, the, the women's team having to change out of their FAI issued tracksuits and hand them back to the FAI a mere five or six years ago. And they spoke out about this and it led to change. And we now have a situation where uh, the uh, male footballers are paid the same as the female footballers when they're representing the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and that is progress towards, I suppose, equalising something that has been very unequal for many years. And I think that that ultimately drives professionalisation of the sport. Uh, you know, it, it, it leads to the results that we've had now qualifying for World Cups. More people will want to watch this team mm. because they're in the World Cup, because they're successful, because sports fans in general want to watch teams be, be successful. Uh, so I think well, that we will... haven't had a lot of that. And we haven't had a lot of that. <laughs> With our yeah. football team the men's teams, You know, the men's team hasn't done a huge amount on that front in the last, uh, in the last 20 years, really. So I think that that's, um, you know, that's going to lead to uh, more success, hopefully, for the Irish uh, women's football team, uh, but also, you know, more commercial success as well. And it becomes kind of self-funding as opposed to having to subsidise it at the beginning, which obviously, you know, as I said, will hopefully lead to the sorts of success that we saw the other night. Yeah, and it won't be overshadowed next year, won't it not, uh, when they're in the World Cup? We will have, we put yesterday behind us. It's time now to focus on the positives, Gareth. Yeah, like that was a it's mistake. It's a good day for young people. That was a mistake and, and, and they apologise. I, I just think that, that this qualification is greater than any of the, the men's qualifications based on where the team was five years ago. Mm. And, you know, it was poignant that it was a Donegal Amber Barrett, who scored the goal, fantastic goal. Um, and, you know, I was watching it at home and, and like my 14-year-old son said, Dad, this is the first time I can support Ireland in the World Cup. You know, so for boys and girls. So I think it's fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I just want to move on um, because we're running out of time, uh, Claire, to the death of Angela Lansbury. I mean, 
I've been singing that theme tune to Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> it's going round and round in my head, even though I do think her greatest role was Mrs Potts in oh. Beauty and the Beast, I have to say. And she had a real connection, didn't she, to this oh, country? Listen, she was like a warm hug. It reminds <laughs> you of being at home, sick from school and watching and trying to work out who committed the murder. But interesting, I heard her being interviewed. They replayed an interview she did with George Hook and she didn't get paid for every time the programme went out. She just got a flat fee. But that programme went all over the world. She was just wonderful. OK, before we go, one story we haven't got to this week, and this is the Seagull, Seagull Gates in Dublin. Uh, Dublin Bay North Councillor has suggested that to get rid of the scourge of Seagull's hue, we should give them the contraceptive pill. It's Look, it's out there. Yeah, this is uh, Councillor Evine Tormey, uh, Fine Gael Councillor, who uh, is citing, I think, evidence in Belgium or stories in Belgium where they've used these contraceptive pills to kind of uh, drive down the number of seagulls in, in, in the population and circulation. Um, but it's kind of a wild idea, I think, that's met with a lot of resistance from animal rights activists and animal welfare bodies. And I think they're kind of pointing out there's all sorts of unintended consequences to this. You know, could you have endangered species potentially alighting on this contraceptive pill and taking it and not creating a whole bunch of other issues? I, I heard one uh, person from the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals suggesting, I think, that we could have a Simpsons-style scenario of animals going around with three eyes and whatnot. So <laughs> I think it's pretty unlikely <laughs> that this is going to happen. But look, there's no doubt seagulls are a scourge and a problem. But that's probably Scourges. not the best way to deal with them. Uh, Gareth, is this a solution? I mean, no, we, no. We, we might scoff and we might no, laugh, no, look, but... I thought, I thought we were back in April. I thought there was an <laughs> April Fool story when, when I read it. No, I think it's a really silly idea because, actually, if we, if you want to deal with seagulls and, and it's food waste, it's bins, and certainly for a councillor, I think she should be more focused on that than... Uh, it's not the contraceptive pill, you don't think? No, no. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there, but uh, that is it from us this evening. My thanks to my panel, to Hugh O'Connell, to Claire Ronan and to uh, Garrett Hart. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all the late team here, good night. Do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.